changing gears a little bit this morning, do you have someone in your life that's difficult to love? And I want you to raise hands. You know, that person could be sitting next to you, so we don't want to make this an awkward moment. But if I were to ask every one of you to raise a hand, if there's someone in your life that is difficult to love, every single one of your hands would go up. It's just life. We have difficult people. In fact, you don't even have to know them that well. You don't have to know them at all. One of those people that are difficult for me to love is other drivers. <laughs> I just don't feel like they're as good of drivers as I am, you know? And so it's, you know, I give myself a lot of slack. I don't give them a lot of grace. Um, there's others in our lives. Some it gets, the closer we get, the harder it gets. I mean, ex-exes, ex-spouses, ex-boyfriends, ex-girlfriends. Uh, those can be hard. Former friends, maybe in the present. Maybe there's some coworkers or classmates uh, that are hard to love, even closer to home. Sometimes, uh, you know, we're around Thanksgiving and Christmas and there's family members. Sometimes it's even closer than that. It's a, it can be a, you know, a parent or and just all those different things. This is a hard time of year as well when you think about um, at the holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas, we think of peace on earth and we think of that, uh, the good tidings of great joy and we think about these wonderful statements that are supposed to be a part of our life. And yet it's some of the greatest times of tension. Uh, some of you experience tension. Thanksgiving is not, not that fun for you. you. just Some of you can't wait till it's over. Uh, Christmas sometimes can be the same way. It's a hard time. Some of you have memories that um, you have dates in your mind. It wasn't so much of a family thing, but um, I have dates. November 21st and December 14th. Those are hard dates for me and my life sometimes, our family and our life, sometimes as we think about things happening, you may be thinking of things that happen on a certain date around the holidays. I believe this is a hard season in our history right now, what I call the post-COVID post-civility. Uh, it's civility is dying around us, and there's just so much less of it. This is a season in history right now where, where uh, the offenses are on the rise. It's easy to be offended these days. We live in a, a, a world right now of perpetual offenses. And we're constantly, we're quick to judge, we're quick to condemn, we're quick to easily get offended ourselves. If we're honest, probably you don't have to go back a month. Probably maybe you don't have to go back a week. You can maybe go back to yesterday of something that was offensive or how you might have been offended. We have a term for it now called cancel culture. When you wrong me, you know, it's like, you're, I'm done. I'm done. You wrong me, I'm done. You hurt me, you're canceled. <laughs> you're not a part of my life anymore. I'm done with it. And we can talk about it in the ways of others, but really, let's be honest, have you canceled anyone in your life? A coworker, a friend, a relative, a grandparent, a parent, a child. How many of you have someone difficult to love right now? How many of you, let's go a little deeper here, how many of you are living with an offense in this moment? You're offended. Maybe you're offended by something I've just said in the last few moments. But you're offended. You have something in your life, someone in your life that's offended. And I, I want to ask the question for all of us when we think about our offenses, how's it working for us? How's it working for you? For I don't know anybody who said, including, uh, that, including myself, who is like, you know, when I'm offended, 
I just feel like I live better. Life just seems to go better. I, you know, when I'm offended, um, I just do better when I live on edge, when I'm angry, mad, and upset at people. You know, I'm just more productive at work when I'm, when I'm living on the edge and when I'm offended. No one, no, one say, no one says that. That only works in two places where I can think of. One is in sports. Sometimes it's good to be a little bit angry on the football field. It does help at times. And then movies. You know, you'll see that, hey, when the person gets even or they get back, it kind of feels good. Even it can be kind of comical, like this is what I thought of this week when this message came to my mind. All right, nobody move. I got a dragon here and I'm not afraid to use it. I'm a donkey on the edge. Can we relate? There's a lot of donkeys on the edge these days. And I could have said something else, but I still want to be your pastor And even that I said that, you're going, that offends me, that our pastor would even think that thought. If you want to be offended, you can be offended. You don't have to go far. If you're looking to be offended, you don't have to look hard to be offended. It happens. In fact, Jesus was telling his disciples that just plan on it. Plan on it happening. It's going to happen to us. And so Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he said, it's impossible that no offenses should come. If Jesus said it's impossible, then it's impossible. Offenses are going to happen. Offenses are inevitable, but living offended is a choice. You may be thinking, Pastor, I thought we were starting a, or we're in a series about peace. And we are. Today's title of the message is Help. These people are driving me crazy. We all have some people in our lives that maybe are driving us crazy. And uh, I want to ask that God would help us as we navigate this today. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, as I make light and as I joke a little bit about being offended, I know for some of us, maybe right now, there's some things going on in our lives that it's not a laughing matter. And there's nothing funny about it. We feel hurt. We may feel betrayed, let down. So, Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to navigate these waters and help us, Lord, if we're in a place of offense today or we've been living in a place of offense. Lord, I pray that you would move us to higher ground this morning, not by our power or by our strength, but by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray you'd speak to each and every one of our hearts to help us, Lord, to be more like you and to know you better. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is a favorite passage that I'm preaching from today. It's one of my favorite passages. I've preached on this passage in my seven years here a few times um, in different verses that we've pulled out. In fact, we did a whole six-week series on this chapter in the Bible that all of you probably have forgotten and none of you remember, which is offensive to me. Put a lot of work into these things. So that being said, I love this passage. I had it memorized at one time, all of it. I know pretty much all of it now, but I don't do it as well. I love it, but it is also some of the hardest to live by. That's because we're going to go to the end of the chapter where it gets really hard when it says this. In Romans chapter 12, bless those, Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Now, persecute you, you may think, I don't have anyone persecuting me, but so you can think of some other words. 
Bless those who've wronged you. Bless those who've hurt you. Bless those who've betrayed you. Bless those at work who have slandered and spoke ill of you. You can fill in the blank, but bless those who've hurt you, betrayed you, wronged you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. And do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. It is God's plan for us, excuse me, and the reason Jesus came is to bring us peace. Peace with God and peace with one another. And it's often easier said than done. Paul said, bless those who persecute you. Now, before you bring up that slide, if I'm going to back up here, um, you guys kind of saw, but I think of a different bless sometimes. My mom was born in the panhandle of Texas. She's a southern girl from Higgins, Texas. You've never heard of it. And there's a saying, if you're from the south, bless your heart. Those of you who've been a part of our church for a while, you've heard me. In fact, one of you gave me a mug about this. And, and you say, bless your heart. And I can do this for my enemies. I can say, bless your heart, because my mom gave me the interpretation of what bless your heart means. It really means, you're so stupid. <laughs> and so it's easy to say, bless your heart. <laughs> bless your heart. You, you just really aren't all there. You need help. Bless your heart. But that's not the, the bless that Paul's talking about. Paul has a different blessing. He says to bless, which is the Greek word eulageo, eulageo, which you can see eulogy in that. So you can think of a eulogy at a funeral. And, and the eu means good, and the logos means word. It means to speak a good word, to wish someone well, to wish them the best, to speak a good word for them. Now, I want you to think for a moment, someone you really like, someone that you, it brings a smile to your face when you just think of this person, and I want you to get that person in your mind, and then if I were to come and ask you, give me a good word about this person, it would be so easy for you. You would have no problem. In fact, I'd probably have to stop you because you have such a glowing report. Now, I want you to think of a person or persons who's offended you, and I want you to do the same. I want you to think a positive thought. I want you to think of a good word you could share about them. I want you to think how you could wish them well. Not so easy, is it? I, I hate to admit this, and I feel a little bit judged even in saying this because I'm, as your pastor, I'm supposed to have my act together. If you're here and you're new here today and you're looking for a pastor who is, has his act together, you need to keep looking for a church because this pastor does not have his act together. I hate to admit this. It's kind of embarrassing. It is embarrassing. But I, I think of a time when a, a ministry friend of mine, we were good friends, and uh, we were in ministry together, and he did something that I would say is an understatement when I say the word, he offended me. And we kind of went our separate ways. He went and pastored a church. 
I had heard of the history of this church. It was a, known for a history of being a very difficult church to pastor. They had spit out pastors multiple times, and he was going to this, and it didn't fare for him any better. He didn't even make it to his two-year review, and he was leaving. And there was, this is what I hate to admit, there was a part of me that I was kind of smiling. I kind of had a grin. I kind of got some warm fuzzies going on inside. And I know as you're sitting here looking at me thinking, is this the best we can do for a leader here? <laughs> I mean, this guy's having this thoughts. And, and I want you to be honest for a moment. Before you judge me, I want you to be honest and think about some people in your life and maybe you don't wish them all that well. You're not hoping things go well for them. They hurt you. And you're not looking for a good report in their direction. Now, I want to say in my own life, God has a way of, you know, his word is active, it's breathing, it's sharper than a double-edged sword. And it was shortly thereafter that I came across a verse I had probably read a thousand times, but this time it jumped off the page. It's in the wisdom of Proverbs. It says, don't rejoice when your enemies fall. Don't be happy when they stumble. For the Lord will de be displeased with you and will turn his anger away from them. I can't think of anything that stings more than thinking about our Heavenly Father being displeased. You think about your father or your mother, and maybe you had a good father, and it was a good, let's say it's a good situation. And when your father was disappointed in you, it hurt. And, and our, our, our Heavenly Father, He has called us to this life of peace, and sometimes it can seem nearly impossible, but yet the Bible commands it, Jesus commands it. His teachings are not always easy. In fact, I think when Paul was sharing this bless, those who persecute you, I think he was thinking of the words of Jesus when Jesus said to his disciples, and I want to pull up that verse in Matthew. I think it's Matthew. He said, Jesus said, you have heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? What, what reward is there for us as followers of Jesus if we just love the people who love us back? How are we any different? Hitler probably was a good dad to his own kids. He probably loved his own family. How are we any different if we don't, God calls us to something much different. Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. God calls us to a different standard. He calls us to a high standard. He says be perfect. Now, that's not meaning perfect in that we're going to be perfect people in all of our actions. But God is calling us, Christ is calling us to have a perfect love. What is perfect love? It's not perfect in its actions. It's a, a perfect love is one that knows how to say the words, I'm sorry. Uh, perfect love is the ones to be repentful and sorrowful for the things that we have done wrong. Doesn't mean we're going to be perfect in all our actions, but it, it's, to, it's to have a love and ask God to help us to love those who have not loved us. And when Paul starts out this chapter in chapter 12, when he, at the end when he says, bless those, he starts off with verse 1 of, of, of why we're to bless. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, 
He says, in view of God's mercy, look back. Look back at what I've done for you. In view of what I've done for you, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, we just sang some songs, and that is a part of worship. It's, It's good that we do that, but that's not worship. Worship is not just the songs that we sing. Worship is the way in which we live. It's the life we live. Everything that we do is meant in how we worship, in how we love, and how we forgive. Loving as we've been loved, forgiving as we've been forgiving. Do we deserve God's mercy? When we think about in view of God's mercy, do any of us deserve God's mercy? Do any of us deserve his grace? None of us deserve it. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And in light of that, Jesus died for us. When we think of a sacrifice, we think of something that has to die. We think in the Old Testament of the, of the animal sacrifice for the sins of the people. We think of the spotless lamb that was, that was slain for the sins of the people. We think of Jesus who was the final sacrifice and we don't have to do sacrifices anymore because he died that death that we could not do. And he doesn't call us to die for him. Now, sometimes that happens. Paul had, you know, he's called to die for Jesus physically. Peter did. Um, you know, all 11, 10 of the 11 apostles, they died for their faith. But he's not calling all of us to, we can't die for for God in that relationship. What he asks of us is that we would die to ourselves, that we'd be a living sacrifice. He died for us so that we may live for him. Paul said to the church in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. We're maybe not called a physical death, but we are called in Christ to die a, to die a, a death to ourselves so that we become spiritually alive. And and part of that and a big reason is why we forgive. And when we don't forgive, we may be breathing, but we aren't living. We can be walking around, we can look good, but if we are not forgiving as Christ has forgiven us, we're not really living. We may be breathing, but we're not really living because Christ calls us to die to ourselves, to pick up our cross. Here's the thing. When we die to ourselves, you can't hurt him. When we die to God, when we, when we die to ourselves and live for Christ, you can't be hurt. My aunt this last week went home to be with Jesus on Tuesday night. My, my sister was able to be there holding her hand as she took her last breath. This last couple months has been hard and painful for her, especially the last couple weeks. But the moment she gave her last breath and went to be with Jesus, the moment that she no longer had breath here on this earth, you could not hurt her here. Nothing could hurt her. You cannot hurt someone who is dead. And when we die to ourselves, we are dying a death that says, I am no longer alive, but I am now alive in Christ. I I don't live for myself anymore. I live for Jesus. You can't hurt that which is dead to themselves. It's interesting to me that after this, Paul commanded and commands us to bless. He says, live in harmony with one one another. Do not be proud. Do not be conceited. what What does that mean? We may not be thinking of ourselves as proud or conceited, but I think... 
we have all probably been proud and conceited if we'd said things like this in our minds. I'd never do that. I can't believe they did that. I just, I'm not like that. (laughs) I would not do that. What they did, I would never do. When we think those thoughts, we're being proud and conceited because we've all fallen short of God's standard. We've all fallen short of the grace of God. We've all fallen short. And yet we can be so stubborn and proud. We can insist and convince that we're right, and maybe we are, but Jesus didn't call us to be right. He called us to be loving. He didn't say, hey, I want you to prove that you're right. I want you to go into to the world that doesn't believe the way that you believe, and I want you to prove your rightness and my rightness. He doesn't call us to prove our rightness. He calls us to love. He calls us to love other people. He calls us to love those who are not like us, who don't agree with us, who don't think like us. It's interesting how we, though, sometimes minimize our offenses while we maximize the offenses of others. I mean, if I do something to disappoint you, I want you to give me grace. I want you to cut me some slack. If others disappoint us, we're like, they did that on purpose. They did, they did that intentionally. When we do it, we're like, it was, it was a mistake. When it comes to our, ourselves, we excuse. When it comes to others, we accuse. We fill in the missing gaps. For me, it may be, I, you know, I'm sorry I didn't mean to do that. And again, it's when they do it, said, well, they did it on purpose. For me, it's an accident. For others, it's like, I, well, we can't trust anyone. Or it may be, I'm sorry, I just wasn't thinking. But when we put the shoe on the other foot, it's like, you don't care. You just don't care. You see, I excuse me, but I accuse thee. It's just kind of a human nature that that's our default, that we, we tend to accuse, excuse me and accuse thee. And when we do those, we erode, when, when, we, when we accuse and accusations, we erode marriages, split friendships, we destroy churches, because being offended is inevitable, but living offended is a choice. It's a decision, not an easy decision, one that we need God's grace and mercy and help, one in which we need his wisdom, the wisdom that is, uh, is applied in the proverb chapter 19, verse 11, that says a, person wi- a person's wisdom yields patience. It takes a great deal of patience to overcome offenses. In fact, if you've ever prayed for patience, watch out, because <laughs> some offenses are probably coming your way, because it's going to happen. If you want to learn to be patient, your, your wisdom is going to teach us patience. And it, it takes patience to overcome our offenses. But then look what, I love this part. It says, it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. It's to your glory. It's to my glory. It's to our glory to overlook an offense. That's hard. Overlook. The Hebrew word for overlook is avor, which means to pass over. And we think of in the Old Testament, we think of the children of Israel and the, being delivered from the hands of the Egyptians and the last plague that was the death of all firstborn across the land. And, and God said, he told Moses to tell the people, 
put the, put the blood of the spotless lamb over the doorpost. Put the blood over the lamb. And when I see that blood that was shed, I'm going to pass over. Death is going to pass over your household. And then we see it again when Jesus died on the cross as the spotless lamb of God. When he died on a cross, he in essence, he's looking over our sin. He's passing over our sins. He's choosing to overlook our sins. What if we followed in the foots of the one that we love? What if instead of focusing on the offense, we focused on Jesus? Think about Jesus. He said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. For he was looking beyond. He was looking over. And he calls us as his kids to look over the offenses. So what if we focused on Jesus and we chose to get over it? Or I choose to get over it? What if instead of dwelling on it, which is so easy to do, what if instead of dwelling on that offense, we died to that offense? And we said, Jesus, this is yours. It's yours, not mine, to hold on to. I'm, I'm dying to that. What if instead of maximizing it, we minimized it with God's mercy? We, we looked at ourselves through the great forgiveness that God has given us and his mercy that he's, he's, a, that he's lavished on us. And we were generous with being merciful to others. Jesus is the one that said, mercy triumphs over judgment. What if instead of replaying it, we remake it? As Joseph did in the Old Testament, when his 11 brothers betrayed him, sold him to the Egyptians. He spent 13 years being wrongfully accused and imprisoned. What if Instead of that being our story, we allowed God to remake our story like he did for Joseph. And the next time he saw his brothers, instead of when he had the power to get even and, and to do worse unto them what they had done unto them, instead he chose to overlook it. And he said these words. Remember he said these words? You intended this for evil, but God has intended this for good. For the saving of many lives. And, and what if God wants to take your offenses and turn it into his glory? It's, and it's, it's easy to live a life and no movie is great without the, without the tension and without overcoming something. It, it's, that, it's that the deeper the offense, the harder it is, the, the greater the story is in our lives. And some of us have some, and we're not excusing it. We're not saying it's okay. We're not saying that, that, there's, that, it was, that it was okay for that to have happened. We're not excusing it. But what we're saying is what if we give it to God and let God rewrite the story, remake the story as he did for Joseph. One of the most powerful stories is the story of Louis Zamberini. I've shared it before, but I can't think of a more powerful story than the movie Unbroken that... Uh, Angelia Jolene uh, did in the theaters. Heather and I had the blessing about three or four months before Louis passed away uh, to see him and meet him at a conference and shake his hand. But I mean, 47 days, I believe, out on a raft 
in World War II when his plane was shot down only to have the misfortune and bad luck to be rescued by the enemy, by Japan, to be thrown into a Japanese prisoner of war camp, to be treat, mistreated worse than anyone else because he was an Olympic athlete that they wanted to make an example of. And he was beaten, he was tortured, he was nothing but skin and bones when the war was over and he miraculously was, was, was saved. But I, I think his story is... So amazing. When he came home, he wasn't over it. He hated in his heart. He had such bad nightmares every night. Sometimes he would wake up and his wife was ready to divorce him because he'd wake up in the night with his hands on her throat, choking her because of the bad dreams that he was having. He succumbed to alcoholism and he was just ravaged by, by the things of hatred and hurt and pain. But then something happened in his life. And he found Jesus. And I think his words are said better than what I could say them. When you went back to Japan, you, you shared the gospel with some of the very guards that mistreated you. And you wanted to meet the bird, but you were told the bird was dead. He wasn't. But you didn't know that at the no, time. But you wrote him a letter. Do you have that letter with you? I, I, yeah, I brought it with me. This is the letter that Louis wrote to the bird. You want me to read it? Yo, would you okay. read it, please? <laughs> okay. This is to Matsushiro Watanabe. As a result of my prisoner of war experience under your unwarranted and original punishment, my post-war life became a nightmare. I, it was not so much due to the pain and suffering as it was to the tension of stress and humiliation that caused me to hate with a vengeance. Under your discipline, my rights not only as a prisoner but also as a human being were stripped from me. It was a struggle to maintain enough dignity and hope to live under the war's end. The post-war nightmares caused my life to crumble, but thanks to a confrontation with God through the evangelist Billy Graham, I committed my life to Christ. Love replaced the hate I had for you, and Christ even said, forgive your enemies and pray for them. As you probably know, I returned to Japan in 1952 and was graciously allowed to address all the Japanese war criminals at Tsugamo Prison. I asked them about you and was told that you probably had committed harakiri, which I was sad to hear. At that moment, like the others, I also forgave you, and now I would hope that you would also become a Christian. Amen. That's a... Uh forgiveness. I think, and I'm not minimizing anything that's happened in your life, whether it's in your childhood or whatever took place or whether it was this last week or there's something that, I'm not minimizing those things. But Jesus, when he was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He knew what they, what they had done. What he was saying was, I'm going to overlook it. I'm going to overlook their sin as if it didn't happen, I'm going to forgive them. If Jesus can overlook it, if Paul can overlook it, if Louis can overlook it, God can help us to overlook it. He can help us to pass over it, not pretend it never happened, but trust God with that person. By his grace, he can help us to overlook it. So when someone says the next time, maybe at work tomorrow, passively, they're passive aggressive, they say that snarky remark, 
or maybe, maybe it's from a family member. What if you, like Christ, said, with God's help, I'm going to overlook it. Don't deserve it, but I didn't deserve it. I'm going to pass over it. I'm going to overlook it. What if when your mother-in-law corrects your kids the next time, instead of putting her in her place, what if you pass over it? What if you overlook it? What if instead of holding on to words from your childhood that you've been holding on for years and years, maybe something, excuse me, that your mom or your dad said wasn't excusable, wasn't right, but what if you chose to overlook it? It's to your glory to overlook an offense. Let God rewrite your story into something beautiful. And I know it's easier said than done. I know it's hard. Receiving Jesus as our Savior is easy because we love to receive forgiveness. Following Jesus is hard because he tells us to pick up our cross, to die to ourselves daily and follow him. I wish there was an easier way to follow him, but I will say this, it is the best way. And it's not always possible to reconcile those relationships Paul even gives kind of an escape clause at the end with the last verse of this chapter. He said, if it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. There's boundaries. There's limitations. We can't always reconcile a relationship. Sometimes it's because the person's dead. We can't reconcile that relationship anymore. It takes two people to reconcile, but it only takes one person to forgive. And you may not have the strength, you may not have the power, and you probably don't. It'll be by the grace of God. It'll be by trusting in him, by dying to yourself and saying, Jesus, I can't do this, but by your power and your Holy Spirit, you do it in me. You do through me what I can't do for myself. As far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. And when you overlook it, you're not letting the person off the hook, you're trusting that person to God. When, when you forgive, it's not that it... It, it does something for the other person. Forgiveness is not really for you, for, for them. Forgiveness is for you. Forgiveness doesn't set them free. Forgiveness sets you free. Forgiveness sets us free. So God wants so much to set us free when we trust in him. And that's what it takes. It takes us trusting in him to do what we can't do on our own. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, Lord, I recognize that the words that have been spoken today are easier said than done. I know that because I've experienced it in my life. Every person in this room has experienced an offense that is hard to get over. But by the power of your grace and your Holy Spirit, we confess that to you. We ask you to forgive us so that you can set us free. You came to set us free. You, say that you came to set us free from the slavery of sin and brokenness, the bondage of bitterness and resentment. Lord, you want to set us free today. And I pray, Lord Jesus, for some friends in this room right now and no one's looking around. Your heads are bowed. I was honest with you this morning. 
I shared with you that I haven't been perfect in this area. I needed God's grace and forgiveness, even though I was a follower of him. And this morning, no one's looking around, but just by faith, you're just saying, God, I, I need your help with this. There's someone I need to let go. There's someone I need to trust to you. There's someone that I've kept trying to forgive, and I'm probably have to do it again. But God, I need your help. No one's looking around. It's just you, me, and God. You just, I'm not going to call you out. You just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Yeah. Yeah. This does not discriminate by age, by age, by sex. Does not discriminate. Heavenly Father, I pray for my friends here who, Lord, in raising their hand, they're just expressing to you, God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I need you to, to help me. I need your grace. Lord, I pray for my friends, and all of us probably have, even those that haven't raised, there's probably things going on where we need to say, God, would you forgive me? I've been holding on to this. I brought it to you before, and you never get tired of me bringing it back to you, saying, God, I still need your help with this. You're patient, you're long-suffering, but you want to set us free. Lord, I pray you would give us your Holy Spirit and the courage to forgive those who have offended us, who have hurt us, who have wronged us. Set us free from that as we trust those individuals to you. Lord, if there's a situation where we can reach out and try to make things right, and you said as far as it depends upon us, live at peace with everyone, and the other person may not be responsive. They not, may not respond in kind, but you're calling us maybe to, to reach out and to make a phone call. Lord, I pray that you would just allow my friends to experience your overwhelming love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and set us free. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning, the greatest offense that we could be set free from is our own sin and brokenness. Maybe today you haven't made that decision or maybe you've walked away and it's time to come home. But today, no one's looking around. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. But just by a statement of faith, you'd just like to pray with me, to pray with you, to just raise your hand to receive Christ today and experience his forgiveness. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, there's, yeah, thank you. Heavenly Father, and for those who have raised their hand or wanted to raise their hand even, and those on, watching online, the good news of Christ is this. Those who earnestly seek him, he will not turn his back on you. He accepts you. He receives you. So maybe just pray a simple prayer of faith. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my offending you. I'm sorry for my sins and my offenses. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and make me a brand new person inside. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for overlooking my sin and my sins and my offenses. Heavenly Father, I pray for those who have prayed this prayer by faith. I pray that they would receive, Lord, the gift of your love and acceptance. That you have better days in store for them. You have better days ahead as they walk and trust in you. Father, we love you today. Help us as we walk this journey. Thank you that your forgiveness comes easy. But help us with that hard journey of following you. Give us the grace we need to do it. In Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. God bless you this morning. I'm going to ask Brandon to share a few words with us today, and I hope to see you all next Sunday. Awesome. So uh, a couple things coming up, guys. We are a church of next steps, and, and we want to provide as many next steps as we can for you guys to help you in your journey with Jesus. And so uh, one of the next steps that we have coming up next uh, next month in January is Financial Peace University. Uh, this is something like I think all of us could get better at, right? A lot of us, all of us could get better at uh, controlling and maintaining our, our home finances and to feel comfortable uh, with the finances that we have. And so this is a great class that we offer. Uh, if you guys uh, would want to sign up for that, uh, I encourage you to. Uh, but uh, to learn more about it, I'm going to let you guys watch a quick video, and then I'll let, let you know how. What would happen if the people of God started handling money God's ways? You work too hard to get to the end of your life and have nothing to show for it. This is my family's legacy that I'm talking about here. I've got to have a plan and be focused. That knowledge that you pass down to your kids, that is how you change a family tree. You change your life when you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. And you have that moment where you say, I've had it. I'm not going to live like this anymore. Gotta love Dave Ramsey's energy. <laughs> me, uh, me and Caitlin, we are like second generation uh, financial peacers. Like both of our parents were pretty high. Both uh, both of our parents were pretty high into financial peace stuff, and so we're, we we uh, we see the value of that just as far as like the legacy that they've adopted for us, and so. It's something that I would encourage for any of you guys uh, to take part of, to be a part of that, to uh, set that legacy forward for your family. So uh, you guys can join that. Uh, you can sign up for that. It's like $40 a couple, $40 a family. Uh, you can sign up for that on the Hub. Uh, just text the word Hutch to 94000, and you'll see a link on there for Financial Peace University, and you can sign up for it that way. Uh, another thing coming up that you guys want to make sure you are aware of, and this is something that we also want to, a next step that we can take is just by being inviters. Um, we want to encourage you guys to invite your friends to come and join us here uh, in experiencing God's presence together every single, every single chance that we can. So uh, the first opportunity coming up is uh, our Christmas Eve services. Uh, we're going to have two services, and we're trying something new this year. We're going to see, see how it rolls. Uh, but our first uh, Christmas Eve service is on J uh, December 21st. And it's going to be in here at 6.30 p.m., our normal time of Wednesday nights. We won't have youth group or anything going on, uh, but it's a great opportunity for uh, kids to bring their families. But also, if that's a better service for you, if you're out of town on Christmas Eve, you want to join us that Wednesday night, we encourage you to join us. But also invite some friends to come with you and uh, to celebrate the Christmas season together. And then the other service we're going to have is on Christmas Eve at 4.30. Uh, so we encourage you guys to invite people, bring them here with you uh, for our Christmas Eve services. On Christmas Day, we will not be meeting here, uh, but we will have an online service available for you guys. Uh, so we encourage you to get on, uh, get online, check that out. And then the next week on New Year's Day, we're going to have one big service together. It's going to be awesome, a great way to bring in 2023. And so uh, we're going to have that one service all together at 1045 your guys normal time so don't need to change anything there you go all right so we would love to have you guys uh, back with us on new year's day that day that's all i have for you guys thank you so much for joining us have a great week